welcome to another great episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Billy Holiday. Hello there. And Jeremy Gregory. Hey there. Uh, this week we're going to deal with a genre we haven't dealt with yet, a fighting game. Uh, but before we get to that and all the excitement that is involved with that, Jeremy, what have you been playing since last time? Well, my girlfriend got a PlayStation 4 not too long ago, and she uh, th- that came with the Uncharted collection. And I hadn't played Uncharted probably since Uncharted, well, I guess Uncharted 3 back on PS3. And so I, I downloaded, downloaded that and wanted to check it out and uh, just remember what it is about Uncharted that I like because it's been so long since I played it, I've kind of forgot. Uh, plus, Uncharted 4 is coming out, coming out pretty soon. And uh, I played through the entire first game, like yesterday, and I really don't sit through games that long anymore. I mean, it's not a very long game anyway, but I played through basically the entire thing in one day, and I came out of that remembering why I like Uncharted so much. It's it's just so much fun, and uh, just a just great character all the way through that. It's just one of those games that constantly makes you want to move forward and, and see what what's next. Um, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to keep trying to work my way through through those and get ready for Uncharted Four. Yeah, the only one I played was the one on the Vita, uh, which name I've forgotten completely, but it was it was the one that was made specifically for Vita. It was good. I enjoyed it very much. It reminds me of the, the Tomb Raider-style games, uh, much like the, I mean, the new Tomb Raider is essentially an Uncharted game, but it's great. I mean, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, if you, if you really like that one, then play the much better games uh, whenever you do get a, uh, a PlayStation 4 because they are well worth playing through. That first one, it's got a few problems because it's just old at this point. Uncharted 2 basically fixed everything, but uh, it's still really, really fun to play through. I like that you complain that Uncharted 1 is old on a, on a gaming podcast <laughs> revolving around games from 25 <laughs> to 30 years ago. What is it? It was like 2007 when that game, 2006 when it came oh, out. It so was, ancient. Uh, oh, man. I, I can't even recall back. Those were simpler times. The only reason I remember uh, is because I had just come back from living in Michigan, and oh. it was my first experience back to a GameStop in the ghetto where I lived here in Indianapolis. And it was, everything came flooding back as to why I stopped going to GameStop, even (laughs) back then, because they were furious that I was picking something called Uncharted for the PlayStation 3, of all things, instead of Madden for the Xbox 360. And you weren't pre-buying seven things and buying a hint guide or whatever other thing they had to push. Right, yeah, they can't were handle it. <laughs> incredibly mad. Just they were just I, I could not get them off my back. I was like, I'm leaving now. It's just stop asking me to buy Madden. I I don't want Madden. Did you did you at least get the insurance on the disc? I did not. I told ah. them they could. I just just le- let me go. I I just came in to buy this game. I <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> well, I'm definitely going to get a PS4 at some point soon because Dark Souls Three is on the horizon. There's no way I'm going to skip that. Uh, well, I say that. Uh, there's a lot of other factors in life that are going to determine whether or not I get a PS4, but I will probably have a PS4 uh, when Dark Souls 3 comes out, and I will probably get the one that comes with the Uncharted Collection because I, I do want to play through all those. So, um, but since since our last show, you know, last time I talked about how I'm the guy that starts 100 role playing games and doesn't finish any of them, or, or maybe eventually focuses on one and and bleeds through it. So, in in standard fashion i started another role-playing game because that's what <laughs> ah. i should do but at least it's a short one and i would argue that it's barely a role-playing game i did start playing that uh, south park stick of truth you had mentioned a couple weeks ago jeremy yeah and it's uh it's great i mean it's it's a perfect game to play in little bursts you know if i have half an hour i can play enough of it where i, I get amusement out of it i'm really enjoying it but i can also sit and play through a couple hours at a time and not feel like uh, it's getting boring or dragging on it's it reminds me a lot of the uh, costume quest games in, in that there's not a lot of random fighting. They just kind of throw some bullies in here and there that you're supposed to fight. And it, it's not bullies in this game, but, it, you know, it's whatever the storyline is. There's just little things you can fight along the way. There, There's a few random encounters, but it's not, you know, uh, you know, as I'm playing Sweet Code and it's like I walk three feet, I fight. I walk three feet, I fight. I walk three feet, I fight. This is definitely a lot more spread out. I can actually explore. And it's it's almost got a, that, that 3D adventure game. Uh, exploration thing going on with it. I'm I'm loving it though. But I will warn you: if you're going to play South Park Stick of Truth, and you happen to have a four year old in the room, you should not play South Park Stick of Truth at all. Oh, I thought you were going to say just keep playing it. <laughs> no, nope. I even oh. I was like, this is probably not not a good choice. Uh, I don't want to spoil a lot of the game, although it's an older game. Uh, but there's a part on a spaceship 
and that's the part I was playing today, and I looked over, and he's just staring at it. And I was like, um, <laughs> this isn't good. I have to explain this to him. He's going to ask what's going on. Uh, this is, you know, if, isn't if good they don't find out about it at home, they'll learn about it on the streets. <laughs> well, that's hopefully right. not, not that specific thing, but hey, you know what he's for. He won't learn it yet. He's got, he's got a couple years till he gets elementary school. That's where you learn all about that. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm loving just, that. Just sit, sit your four-year-old down, your old, four-year-old down and, and look him straight in the face and explain all of it, just straight face to him. Just let him get a good dose of life right at four years old. <laughs> Either way, it's uh, when I can find time to play it with no one around, it's amazing. And it's short enough, I think, I think I'll think i be able to blow through it before the next show. So uh, oh, yeah, it's a good recommendation. I think uh, it's a good comparison to Costume Quest. It's a little bit deeper and longer than Costume Quest, but uh, just that, just that kind of good sit down and, and play for a bit and, and have a lot of fun with it, not feel like you're you're putting like this huge investment into it. You're just playing it to have fun and laugh because it's stupid and funny. Uh, really, really love that game. So Billy, what have you been playing since our last show? I haven't, I've had hardly any time at all. I've been getting home a little, a little bit later every night. Uh, and I've, I've, I've just recently got back into Titanfall, which I'm still playing, still highly enjoying. Uh, I've been on the, uh, the old Mario Kart Again, I don't know what came over me, but I've, I've been back on there, tearing through it. But my recent purchase, and, and this is after a lot of debate, uh, Jeremy will know, I, I spoke with him over the course of about three or four days weighing this over. I went out and I got that new WWE game, the, uh, the 2K16. Now, I haven't purchased a wrestling game uh, since, I believe, the, the 2010 edition I believe I picked up. And I forgot just how fun they can be when they are well done. And I have to say, this one is pretty well done. Around 2010, they they had tried to, I guess they did it with all sports games over time. They incorporated so many things for the, the, and this is extra humorous considering it's a wrestling game. They incorporated a lot of things for the sake of realism. Uh, You had stamina. You had to stand there and catch your breath. Uh, There were all kinds of little menus and mini-games throughout the the match that really detracted from it. And that's still there, but they've really lessened it a lot. Uh, It really runs smooth. Uh, The the graphics, of course, are are pretty amazing. And I've really just had a a good time with that. Of course, I immediately went on there and made myself, as I always do. I now have a a cat suit that I fight in. Not as in a burglar (laughs) suit, but as in the animal uh, and I go by the name the Claw, <laughs> and I, I'm currently embroiled in, in a huge feud for the NXT title. So if you guys want to wish me luck, I wish you all the luck because kind of like you, I haven't played a wrestling game in way longer than you. Actually, I think the last one I played was, and, and probably for good reason, the last one I played was WC Nitro, WCW Nitro mm. for the original PlayStation. And if anyone wants to look up a YouTube video of that one, uh, you can see just what I was treated to. And that was, I, I think at that point, I was just like, I, I think I've had enough of wrestling games because this is a nightmare. This is one of the worst things I've ever played in my life. And I don't think I've really had any any sort of drive to ever play one again. I understand. I mean, I just like the just like wrestling itself. I, the the games seem to have high highs, but when they hit a low, they don't get any lower. And yeah, I think Nitro was one of them that kind of put me off for a long time. And and Nitro was followed by Thunder, and oh, then even better. And then throw in Backstage Assault, uh, and you had a a trifecta of games that would scare. No off wonder, you. yeah. No wonder yeah. everyone just stopped playing wrestling games. Yeah, I mean, everybody stopped for a long time. But I think I think it's worth getting into again. I mean, if you're into it. I, I, I would like to try a wrestling game these days. Like It's been so long that I, it would be really interesting to see uh, just just how they are today. Well, a wrestling game is not a game I'm normally that excited about. The last one I played uh, was, was the NES Pro Wrestling that we reviewed ourselves, uh, what, 20 episodes ago, 15 episodes ago? That's the last wrestling game I've played. But this week's game is similar. It's not wrestling necessarily, but it is player versus player combat and that is eternal champions for the sega genesis slash sega cd
Oh yeah, this was a uh, this was a pick of mine. Uh, I was very excited to review this one. I, I actually I hadn't played it for a while leading up uh, to playing it for the for the show. Um, but yeah, this is one I enjoyed. And back at the time this came out, uh, and we'll discuss this more as it goes along. This was a pretty hot time for uh, for fighting games, especially on home consoles. But this was my go-to for the longest time. It, it was uh, when this came out. Like it, it seemed like this was just one of the dozen or so fighting games that came out every single month on the Super Nintendo and, and Genesis. And uh, to, for anything to stand out back then, you had to be pretty special. And I think at the very least, Eternal Champions uh, stood out fairly well. Well, yeah, the 16-bit era was kind of when good two-player fighting games so you know versus fighting games really hit home consoles the 8-bit uh, systems you know i don't remember anything on the nintendo that was you know more than ring king or karate champ or i guess double dragon 3 you could fight each other in the middle of the room for no reason i mean you know there wasn't really a good two-player versus fighting game on home consoles uh, until the 16-bit era that's when street fighter hit uh, mortal kombat had home versions that were really really good and at that time, Sega put out, you know, unlike those other games and, and Primal Rage and other 16-bit fighters, Eternal Champions was a game made by Sega for their consoles. It was not an arcade port. Uh, it took some of the best ideas from the other 16-bit games. It has, um, uh, what are they called? Not area fatalities, but... Um, stage fatalities? Yeah, like stage fatalities, like Mortal Kombat. It plays very similar to... a. To a Street Fighter, and that it's a 2D one-on-one fighting game with with uh, some series of special moves and the the strong medium hard punches. It stands out because it has a good roster, but uh, for me personally, uh, and that means this episode is going to be really really solid and filled with me. Uh, <laughs> I'm not good at fighting games. There is not a series of games that I'm worse at than uh, than 2D fighters, especially the 16-bit era 2D fighters. So my experience for the last two weeks getting ready for this game has been pure frustration. No, we would all, any, anything that may end in, in Jeremy P. having some kind of emotional breakdown is fine. When did this begin? <laughs> I mean, for, for the 2D fighting, I've just never been good at it. I mean, when Street Fighter Two came out in arcades, I mean, I was at the beach that summer with, with my family, and there was an arcade right next door to where we stayed, and I must have watched people play it. I mean, far more than actually playing it, because I'd get on to play it, and that's when people were lining up to play each other. So I'd play for approximately 20 seconds, if I'm lucky, and then that was my 50 cents, and then I, I would watch other people play and look really impressive. I loved the idea. I thought it looked amazing. Uh, and then as soon as it came to home consoles, it just never clicked with me. I don't know if it's that it requires some fairly precise timing and patience, which are both things I don't have, but I just, I've never been good at 2D fighters. I didn't start getting good in any way at fighters until... Uh, the PlayStation era with Tekken and like Toshinden and some of those 3D fighting games that are probably not very good. But for some reason, in a 3D arena, it makes sense. In 2D arenas, I just straight up stink. Well, yeah, I mean, I can see if you if you weren't skilled at any of the other ones, it's not going to be any different on this one because I think uh, one of, and one of the first things I realized that I had completely forgotten was the the difficulty on this thing. There is a, a difficulty curve to this thing and if you try to get on there uh, and you try to play on anything but the the easiest level you're probably not going to get too far at all and even on the easy level you'll find a, a pretty solid challenge oh yeah I, I mean i tried just just doing like the the training mode which i have to say has a pretty pretty robust training mode for a fighter but even in the training mode i put them down the, the opponents down at like the lowest setting and yeah, I could win a match if I just did a bunch of strong punches and kicks, but I could never pull any good moves off on purpose. I definitely pulled some off by accident, but uh, I'm going to blame, uh, you know, I, I'm playing this on an emulator for this purpose. I'm going to blame poor emulation. Uh, the, the game must be much tighter uh, on the actual Genesis. I remember I was still working at Electronics Boutique when this came out, and uh, and I played it there, and, and I remember that it, it was not nearly as frustrating at that time as it is for me now, but that's also probably because I was playing against other people and yeah. not a computer that just starts the game by punching you directly in the face. Yeah, well, well I, I, I wouldn't blame the emulator quite yet, because I had started playing on, on an emulator just out of, I own it, but out of just pure laziness. And, and I think I was uh, talking to Jeremy Gregory, and I said, I, I just don't recall this game moving so, you know, moving so slow. I mean, we're not talking like molasses slow, but uh, it's, it's pretty slow-moving uh, game. And I, I thought maybe it's the emulator, so I, you know, I hooked it up and I actually tried the, 
the, the actual game out. And no, that's just the pace uh, that it keeps. But I mean, he kind of reminded me, you know, think Street Fighter 2. And that's a, a similar pace. And I think my problem is uh, fighting games just really don't have uh, that pace to them anymore. They're much, much uh, faster pace. I mean, and I've been playing recently fighting games. I've been playing Killer Instinct on the Xbox One, which is, you know, if a, if a regular fighting game did 10 lines of coke, it's it's sped up uh, incredibly. So yeah, going back to this, I think maybe not the emulator, but maybe uh, just this is a, a style of fighting game that has has long since passed and hasn't really been around. I think people forget just how slow Street Fighter 2 was when it was released. It was a very slow and methodical kind of game. And that was the only fighting game in town. I mean, there were more fighting games made, but Street Fighter 2 was it. And all you did basically through the any fighting game that came out, all they were doing was trying to copy Street Fighter 2. And along with that came its speed. So for quite a while, you got games that were just copying that speed. It didn't try to get any faster because they were probably scared to be any faster. And I think that's uh, one of the things, one of the casualties uh, with Eternal Champions and its speed is just, you know, that was a product of its time. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's just, you know, that's how fighting games were then. I mean, Street Fighter, the fact that they had to put out a turbo edition later on where you could speed it up. I mean, that probably, if you hadn't played it in the past, might give you an idea of the speed, the fact, you know, they had to have a, another one later on uh, that was faster. But yeah, I mean, this this game could have easily kind of just gotten lost in the shuffle because, yeah, I mean, on the Super Nintendo, I could go in the video store and leave with a, a different fighting game, you know, almost every time. They were cranking them out left and right. But this one, I thought, had a really good uh, story to it, actually. I, and stories and fighting games, they're always kind of hit or miss. And I, and I like a little bit of story to it. I, I don't care for, you know, all these guys are in a tournament. Everybody wants to win. They're going to fight. I, it's just, it, it's never really been enough for me. So I wasn't really big on Street Fighter 2 when it first came around. And I thought that was all there was to it. But then you, you learn a little more backstory. You know, this guy's in here because he wants revenge on this guy or she's in it because she wants revenge on this guy and etc and, and the story really draws me in and and causes me to you know kind of spend more time uh, getting better with each character so i can unlock more of their story see their ending and whatnot and eternal champions i think as far as a, a fighting game goes had a, a pretty pretty great story to it i think eternal champions itself thinks it has a very good story because <laughs> when you start talking about the the cd version which we'll get into Mm. That thing opens up with a six-minute-long full-motion video uh, just explaining the st- or the story and the characters and stuff. And then after that, another three minutes, three or four minutes of text crawl explaining the story more. It's kind of ridiculous just how much story uh, this game has. It's uh, <laughs> I, I guess there wasn't really anything else like it back then um, that I could remember that had this much story devoted to a fighting game yeah to a fighting game uh but then the sega genesis version kind of kind of can condense the story down i I guess the overall gist uh in case you're you're not immediately going to rush out and play it uh is the eternal champion is i I guess at best a a godlike figure that kind of watches over humanity and he's foreseen that you know humanity is is destined to destined for some some great end some big cataclysm and the, the solution to fixing this is going throughout the ages and picking out, uh, picking out individuals that were killed uh, before their time who, if they would have lived, would have gone on to uh, do some great thing, whether it's a cure diseases or stop uh, organizing. For one, it's stop organized crime, uh, all kinds of things along those lines. And he brings them all into this tournament, and the winner of the tournament gets to go back to their life right before the moment they're killed to avoid it and go on to do whatever grand design there was in place for them. So what you're saying is that Eternal Champions is actually the prequel to War Gods. Perhaps so.
but the Sega CD version, it, it gets, it gets, if anything, it gets a little overindulgent. And I think maybe, I mean, that's the Sega CD though. Uh, the Sega CD is all about, hey, we got a game on a CD. We got all this room. Uh, let's, you know, let's stack that thing up till it's full. Yeah, I mean, it's just overindulgent. And now there's a, a on the Sega CD, there's a dark champion who is trying to stop the eternal champion. And he's brought in four different fighters that somehow throws a wrench in the whole thing. The Sega CD version is, is a lot harder to follow the overall story of it but yeah i mean but along with you know the overinflated story there are a lot of other great extras on the the sega cd version which i I think more of a more of as an expansion than really a sequel Uh, you get a lot more characters uh the music much better uh they've added a lot more kills which we will get around to uh and yeah a lot more cinematics which you know definitely show their age now but at the time uh, you had to be impressed so uh Instead of getting into, you know, explaining the game, because it's, it's a one-on-one fighting game in the same vein as Street Fighter, I mean, I figure anyone listening to this understands the basic concept of the game. What would make this stand out compared to, other than the story, uh, you know, gameplay-wise, what would make it stand out from the competitors at the time? Well, I, you know, I don't know if there's anything that really stands out that separates it, you know, from the pack. I, you know, the, the gameplay, like you said, is very much just Street Fighter 2. Uh, the moves and, and things like that are, are mostly in that vein of, of uh, you know, circular motions on the D-pad, pressing buttons together. Uh, it's, uh, I, you know, I, I can't really kind of put my finger on anything that would really make it stand out. I, the, the graphics and, and sound are, are amazing for a Genesis yeah. game. And the fact that this was only on the Genesis uh, is also uh, something that's that's pretty unique because Nintendo obviously didn't try to make their own fighting game. Well, like, you know, Killer Instinct, but that was later on down the road, way later on down the road. But uh, the fact that this came from Genesis and was only or from Sega and was only on the Genesis was was pretty unique for the time and seemed kind of crazy when it came out. Yeah. And, and as far as gameplay mechanics, there are a few things and I. I couldn't tell you if maybe this existed before. This was just my first uh, encounter with it. Uh, you could not only block projectiles, but you could deflect them. You could send them back uh, at your opponent. I hadn't seen anything like that uh, at that point in time. Uh, and first, and also, this is the first game where I became conscious uh, conscious of uh, juggling your opponent. It's the first game I maybe Street Fighter had it, but it's the first time I really uh, tried to utilize that strategy. And also, just the, the sheer number of, of special moves each character has. And there are some of uh, the kills in this game that you can perform uh, when your opponent, not when the health bar is, is empty. There's not a, you empty out the health bar and the opponent kind of stands there in a daze while you input, uh, uh, input the move. Uh, you've got to pull this move off when uh, you have a full, uh, along with your health, you also have another kind of spirit bar. Uh, you have to pull this off when you have a pretty substantial amount of that bar, and when they are at low health, you can pull it off. There are also moves uh, with the a couple of finishing moves with the environment. Uh, one of which, if you can land a finishing move in a particular spot or send them flying to where they landed, a particular spot, there'll be a an animation. Uh, and there are some you can pull off pretty early on in the match. We're talking when the opponent's maybe mid health, which if you ever get hit by one of those. It's probably the most enraging experience you can have. It's really weird because when I first rented Eternal Champions, which was how I first played it, the game didn't really go out of its way to say that it had fatalities. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think on the back of the box it might have had a picture or something, you know, about finishing moves or some stupid shit. But actually playing the, the one on the Genesis, pulling off those moves, especially the stage fatalities, are re- were, well, they were for me, I don't know, maybe I just wasn't very good at them. But they were really, really hard, especially those stage fatalities where you had to almost be pixel perfect in the right spot to uh, to get those things to pull off. And and even the fatalities, you know, this was definitely uh, they were trying to ape the whole Mortal Kombat thing. But even those seemed like you had to be deadly accurate to get those things to work. And I, I don't think I ever pulled off a fatality in this game. There, there are a few I could get consistently, but I mean, we're talking ones where you had to back the opponent all the way up against the far side yeah, of the yeah. screen. So, I mean, easy things like that. But as far as ones where you kind of had to judge, all right, if I hit this guy, 
uh, with this strength of, of blow, whether, you know, you have, you have the standard, you know, have you kind of, you're up, you're light, you're medium, you're heavy. If I hit him with this, will it knock him far enough to where he lands in this spot? And I mean, that's easier said than done when you have a, another human competitor or you have the computer who is just relentless, you know, coming for you. And a lot of times that's how I died. Uh, or how I lost in this game is I was trying to, you know, just see the different kills and try to line them up. Also in this game, uh, this is another kind of innovation at the time. There are, and once again, the overindulgence of the Sega CD comes out. There are Cine kills. These are kills where, and if, if I recall, I was only able to pull this off with one character because this character had a combo that was very easy to uh, spam because you had to get... I'm thinking maybe a 10 to 12, maybe more hit combo. And there are certain button pr inputs you had to put in. It's all very complex to get this like brief 10 second scene where the character is teleported uh, to the dark champion who proceeds to kill them in some form or fashion. These are rendered in a, you know, a full animated scene, which was, which was impressive at the time. But like I said, I only had one character out of the, the 20 some in the game, um, uh, I could pull it off with. And also the roster. Uh, this is one game where it became pretty commonplace after to have a, a massive amount of unlockable characters. So this game, I think, I mean, we're talking maybe 8 to 10 unlockable characters throughout the game. Uh, most of them are throwaways in there. They're animals. I mean, you got a monkey in there, you got a snake, you got a, you know, a chicken. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's certainly one of the first games to kind of do that the whole you know kind of really ridiculous unlockable characters you know they have really no point they assume by the time you get those you've done pretty much everything else there is to do now that's on the sega cd version of the game right yes yeah i didn't see any any not that i would have gotten very good at getting the secret characters but just doing some research i didn't find any hidden characters on the uh, genesis version you know and to really answer your question what made this stand out or is i i don't think it really stood out a lot since only about maybe 30 people ever played it um, because it just wasn't, in the grand scheme of things, a very popular uh, fighting game. I think the one big thing that made it stand out was that it was a fairly competent fighting game. And in, in a sea of clones and, and bad Street Fighter games, it's it, it was something special to sit down and play a game that seemed like it was actually kind of trying to do its own thing, not copy, you know, taking the best of other things and but making it work in their own game. And, and that was one of the things that really stood out to me when I, when I did play it as a kid. I was like, this, this kind of seems like, you know, maybe if more work was put into this, it could maybe stand on its own. And a lot of those other fighting games at the, kind, at the time just could not at all. tell that they definitely put in some thought to it I, you know you did say if they put more time in it, but i think they put a lot of time into it just the training mode alone has more options than most fighting games have altogether. Yeah. when you go to the training mode in this you can either set up a computer controlled clone that you fight against that you can set the difficulty at that's pretty standard but they also have um you know you could you can set up a uh, they're little little metal balls, basically, that fly across the room, and you're supposed to hit them either with specific attacks or uh, at different directions. So you can practice, you know, as if someone was there without having to worry about the computer just beating the living crap out of you, which is what happens if you just try to jump right into the game. I can't imagine anyone jumped right in, even being good at a game like Street Fighter, and didn't get completely destroyed at first, because it is different enough from Street Fighter. You know, there aren't a lot of... Um, you know, Hadouken-style moves. They're, they're all a lot of hold back and push forward and some buttons or push three buttons at the same time or, uh, you know, hold down and then hit up. It's a lot more like, I think, of Killer Instinct having those moves more than Street Fighter. It's that kind of special move controls. But there's, I just couldn't, 
I couldn't get much done even when I'm in practice mode. You know, I, I started getting good at timing my punches to against those silver balls that fly across the room. But other than that, I, maybe I should have spent two weeks doing nothing but the training. I, well, the only thing I was going to say as far as like features go, this was a really even the Genesis version was really full featured for the time it came with like a tournament modes built into it. Uh, you know, several different types of training modes, uh, options all over the place. Uh, you just didn't, you really didn't see that in too many other fighting games at the time. No, and I mean, and Sega put so much into this, and, and you can tell this was something that they sure were, they, they were hoping would really take off. Uh, and, and unfortunately, it, I mean, it's just the, the wrong. I mean, it came around because of games like Street Fighter 2 and Mortal Kombat. I mean, ultimately, that's what beat it out. It couldn't quite uh, eclipse those games. But yeah, I think it took good things from both. And I, I found in this game, uh, usually in, in fighting games, I just, kind of go out punching I, I just go out swinging i rarely block you know just uh, just all offense on this one you have to play a slower defensive game uh maybe even a little bit more than street fighter 2 uh and i guess it's just not a style that that people really uh, could fully get behind or get accustomed to i mean which is a real shame uh because i i have nothing but praise for this game in most most categories uh graphics you know, the sound, we've talked about all that. And the control, I thought, was pretty pretty solid also. But uh, a word of warning. If you play this game and, and you, you've tracked down uh, for the console, if you've got the Genesis version or the Sega CD, and you have a three-button controller, don't bother. Yeah. I, I originally got this game, and at the time, of course, the Sega Genesis had the, the three buttons. Super Nintendo, you were good to go with a fighting game. It had It had an adequate amount of buttons. But on a game where there are six attacks, and you know three punches, three kicks, and you got a three-button controller, uh, some concessions had to be made. And, and the way they handled it on here was, uh, by default, your three buttons start as three kick buttons. If you hit the start button, they then become punch buttons. And, uh, I mean, this is how I played it the entire time I owned it. I did not stumble upon a uh, six-button until much later in time, uh, which is why I could not get... Uh, some moves pulled off. Some moves require an exchange of punches and kicks within the same combination of button presses. Uh, that's why it really limited uh, what moves I could pull off with some characters. So yeah, definitely if you if you're interested and you track this one down, you may as well track down a six button with it. Yeah. I don't see how anyone could could not play this without a six button controller. It's, I mean, you could probably just mess around and, and throw some kicks and punches and or whatever. But if you're trying to play this at all to beat the AI or someone else, you you definitely need that six-button controller. Now, I don't remember. I mean, I definitely had Street Fighter 2 Turbo on, on Super Nintendo, and I know I played it on Genesis. Could you even play that with a three-button controller, or did you have to have the six-button? I don't know. I, I remember the, the Street Fighter version for the Genesis came out way later. Uh, after the Super Nintendo one did. And I can't remember if they required the six-button controller. I almost want to say that they did require I don't know. Well, seems Jeremy, like they would what? Let, let me pose this question to you. Why use a standard controller at all? Was there another way we perhaps could have controlled this Eternal Champions game? <laughs> I, I'm glad someone brought this up. First of all, we want to say congratulations. You have in your possession the Sega Activator, the ultimate full-body game controller. Feel free to consider yourself a pioneer on the interactive frontier. Okay, I will. Gotta go. Um, but yes, you could have. Um, besides the standard three-button controller and the six-button controller, when Eternal Champions came out, it was um, advertised with the Sega Activator. <laughs> So if if anyone knows what that or doesn't know what that is, it is a um, this crazy octagonal or, or whatever thing that lays on the ground, and it has um, some uh, infrared be in infrared beams that shoot up out of each angle, I guess, that's laying on the floor. So I guess there, how, how many angles would that be? I, it would match. It would have to be just as many as the Genesis controller. So. The way this was advertised to us was just a bunch of you know this stupid kid on the commercial doing like karate and shit on on the activator, and they would show the screen of eternal champions and and the people would totally be doing the moves and stuff and um 
that's not how it works. It was actually you were just uh, pushing your hand out in a certain direction to break that beam to press a button, basically. Uh, and that was there. I mean, obviously, it's impossible to play anything with it required any sort of finesse and i can't even imagine anyone trying to play eternal champions with, with that mess of a controller you know I, I never got around to it even at this was at the point where i was starting to to wisen up just a little bit the power pad had or not the power pad i love the power pad by the way the power glove oh it had burned me burned me something awful and after after weeks of trying to use that thing trying to make the best of it trying to duct tape that sensor bar to my television so it would actually stay on. I, I just gave up on it. And I started using the, the, the power glove. I just started using the controller that was built into it. Uh, so when, uh, when these other gimmicks came along, I just, I just couldn't get into them. But part of me deep down wondered how well that would work. And I mean, and there was no way of knowing. I didn't, didn't know anybody who purchased this thing. And it wouldn't be until I, I you know, saw videos on YouTube years later. And whew, we missed out. <laughs> but we yeah, missed no, out we, on a time we we did uh we probably missed out but uh yeah you don't don't play eternal champions with anything but a six button controller especially not an activator that's that's the wrong way to go if you want to play a video game i worked at a retail store when the activator was out <laughs> and when this game was new and to show you how little faith sega had in it or that at least the market had in it we never carried the activator we carried every other dumbass thing we had rocking uh, video game chairs that would sit on the floor, and you'd, it was ridiculous garbage. We never had an activator. Did anybody it's, come yeah. looking for the activator? No, no one ever asked for an activator. You might as well have asked for the, what was it, the Menace 6, the super, their, their version of the, the light gun. Like, no one bought any of those things. I can't imagine, I, that just seems like just a complete waste of time and money uh, on Sega's part. But that was back then when they were just burning money on any fucking thing they wanted to make. So why not make this stupid plastic piece of shit thing that sat at the bottom or on the floor? But yeah, that um, I, I never I never knew anyone that owned one. I never saw one in the store. But there is an amazing setup video on YouTube for the Sega Activator that is a, an instructional VHS tape that came with it. Oh, excellent. So if you can look that up, we should link that on our Twitter. That yeah, we I need use. to I need to put that up there. <laughs> but it is it is amazing just what you have to do to get that thing up and working. And I can't imagine any child getting that thing for Christmas uh, and obviously not just being completely depressed that they got an activator, but sitting, getting that thing set up on the floor is, is a nightmare. Yeah. I, I, oh, I can only imagine. And how many angered fathers threw that thing down and stormed out of the room on that very <laughs> same Christmas. The activator lets you be creative. Unleash that inner warrior. Better yet, unleash two inner warriors by going head-to-head -head with another activator. There's never been anything like this. Jump into the action with the activator. The next level of interactive gameplay from, uh, what do you think? Sega! I mean, it's a cool idea. I know we're kind of getting off track here, but it just... It was like one of the coolest things that you could probably see in a commercial. You know, these guys were doing uppercuts and, on, you know, the Holyfield boxing or whatever the fuck it was. You know, they were doing uppercuts and it was really almost false advertising what they were throwing out there. It basically was false advertising because, you know, they were saying that it was going to do what you were doing you know, when you did the move. And, and that's not anything close to what it was. Well, I think Billy hit it on the head. We had already all fallen for that for the power glove. Every single one of us. Yeah, you know, we were yeah. all like, "Oh, the power glove's amazing," and I and I had one, and it was like, "Oh, you can play Mike Tyson's Punch Out," and then you you know you play it one time, you're like, "Oh, this was this was a horrible disaster." What was I thinking? I only have one arm in this thing anyway. How am I supposed to play a boxing game? <laughs> this is dumb. And all I ended up using it for ever was you can make it so you could do the A button with your thumb and the B button with your index finger, like tilting them. So then you would be, you're basically just moving your hand left, right, up and down for the controller and using the buttons. And after about three minutes, you're like, yeah, that was worth that was worth all the time and effort I put in for that. What a, <laughs> And so the activator, not surprising, is also a giant piece of garbage. Uh, although I would have to say later on, using that same technology... Uh, Sega put out their incredible version of Samba de Amigo, and that actually oh, yeah. plays very well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but uh, same basic thing. But I mean, that's that's using it smart. That's using a technology. And it, you know, Samba de Amigo is is a very simple game. You're just waving maracas out there and and crossing that beam for two two whole buttons essentially. Uh, or I think you could move it lower, and and it would make a, a different button or, or button press. 
But yeah, I mean, that's fine. But this was trying to mimic fucking 12 buttons or something. I mean, how were you supposed to? There was no way you could play that accurate at all. And I think I think this podcast, I think it sums up the game we're reviewing. Uh, it's it's a really good game, but you forget about it pretty quickly and, and go on to other things. Yeah, which, is mean, very un, which is very unfortunate because I, I it was one of my favorites. And playing it now, I'm going to go back. I'm not done with it. Uh, even after the show is over, I'd like to go back and, and give it a playthrough again. Because there's a few characters I never really uh, messed around with much, and I was just starting to get good at it again. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a shame that it just it didn't take off, and it's a shame that it never made it uh, a newer version got put out. I mean, I mean, assume this is a series that is, is dead and gone, pretty much. Which really oh, yeah. is a shame, because it, it, at least at a time where everything else was just content uh, being a very blatant, Street Fighter clone, a very blatant Mortal Kombat clone. They they really tried to to do their own thing, and they did. They did their own thing. It, it's it's completely its its own game. I mean, it's inspired and it draws from other games, but you know, it's really it's its its own thing. But it just it just wasn't enough. Yeah, and I, you know, I I've always feel bad for it because there's a lot of people that really really like Eternal Champions, but there was just something about it, you know, it just didn't catch on and whether it was just because of the flood of the fighting games in the market or it might have been just a bit too precise for its own good, uh, you definitely cannot button mash in this game. Uh, it's It just never really caught on. And it, it sucks because it seems like Sega really, the people that made this game really had fun making it. And there's just so many little things, little details, and, and how good it looks. The animation's great. The, the soundtrack is awesome on both the Genesis and the Sega CD. Uh, all the fatalities, you know, we didn't really talk about them too much, but they're amazingly gory oh, yeah. uh, for a game like this. This this uh, eclipsed Mortal Kombat. Yeah, there are some of those uh, in, in the Sega CD version. Some of those fatalities are absolutely just chunky. <laughs> there's no... Oh. No I mean, way to describe them other than that. It's just, you know, organs still like pulsating and then, you know, popping out of people and exploding and people yeah. melting. And I mean, uh, it's nice. I mean, you have uh, someone being gunned down and, you know, each individual shot is peeling off, you know, the chunks of skin as you go along. I mean, but it's also it's it's not you have your serious ones. But you also got ridiculous ones. I mean, you can, yeah. drop, a, you can drop a clown car. Yes, the clown where, car. You can drop a clown car. You can teleport someone from a fast food restaurant. They fall into a portal, and they end up falling and being impaled on the Pentagon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. there's, there, there's a lot of different things. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. And like I was talking before this uh, podcast, a lot of that, you know, it's so ridiculous that it really reminds me of all of those. Uh, there were these packs of these cards back when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, like Dinosaurs Attack or, you know, there were like some sci-fi ones. All of them were just ridiculously violent. That's why they sold them to little boys because, you know, we like seeing the blood and gore and everything. And that's really what this reminds me of. It's done in that cartoony comic book style, but it's super, super gory. And if you're interested uh, in seeing one of the best things about this game, go to go to YouTube again and uh, check out the Sega CD Eternal Champions Fatalities. They uh, I, I think they go above and beyond Mortal Kombat by a mile. What was I still think they beat them out to this day. And one thing I liked was that it's not one of those every hit, you know, you, you jab somebody and a bucket of blood spills on the ground. Uh, during the fight, I mean, you're not going to see a lot of blood. They, I mean, they, yeah, reserved, yeah. they reserved it all for the end, which I thought was makes it more impactful when it happens. Because, I mean, on Mortal Kombat, by the time that finisher comes out, I mean, you've already seen more than enough gore. But on this, it's just it's a very sudden, I mean, especially with the moves coming, sometimes you only know you're pulling the moves off and you do. I mean, they and the fact that they can come mid-match, it just makes it very, uh, very sudden, you know. And you're taken aback the first time you see some of these. Really? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I hadn't actually seen all of the Sega CD fatalities until I watched that video, and those are impressive. <laughs> they were, they are pretty nasty for for a Sega CD game, a, a game, a fighting game released at that time. Uh, that was that was really something to watch through. Uh, definitely recommend checking that out. But yeah, I don't know. Eternal Champions was it, it's cool. It's it's a uh, one of the better sixteen bit fighting games, and I think it just got swallowed up by Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat because unless you got something really special, and I think only Killer Instinct came close to getting to where Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter Two were. Uh, you you better damn well bring one hell of a 
something, a gimmick trick or whatever with with the game because you just there, there was no standing with those two games. No, there wasn't. But but I do have to say though, if you're a fan of 16-bit fighters, uh, definitely uh, you you are doing yourself a disservice if you don't go back and have a look at this. So that's our look at Eternal Champions. Uh, In two weeks, we'll be back with The Guardian Legend for the Nintendo, one of my picks. Uh, That's a game I I had owned originally. I've never finished it up till now. I'm determined to do so for this podcast. But this week, unlike last week, we actually do have a listener question. Billy? We do. Uh, We'd like to thank Aaron for uh, for providing us with what I think is going to be a question that's going to lead to some spirited discussion. Uh, He asked, what dark secret do you have that you fear would ruin your old school gamer reputation? Uh, he provides examples of a possibly a game that everyone beat but you growing up or a series that is commonly beloved that you hate. Something along those lines. I was going to say my admitting that I am terrible at all versions of Street Fighter was probably one, but uh, I think enough people are bad at fighters. I don't think that definitely knocks me out of a, uh, of a good <laughs> retro gamer, but... Uh, yeah. I had never beaten the original Super Mario Brothers oh. until probably three years ago. Yeah, why? So I did finally beat it, but I just never, I was never able to get through the, the four world, eight worlds. I never had the patience. I never had the, uh, the, just the ability to get through some of them without just giving up and playing something else. Let me ask, do you remember, it's like 8-2 or 8-3 where you have to make that jump. Uh, it, it's the full length that Mario can jump, and it's also a blind jump. Uh, what, what did that present a problem to you? It's that the whole last four worlds because you can take warps once you know what you're doing. You can take warps from from one two to four one and then four two to eight one. So yeah. I would you know you could easily get to eight one. I, I know I made it through start to finish at least once uh, to the to world eight to see if I would get any better. You know when I clearly didn't. Um, I just didn't have the patience. It's it's a lot of those jumps. There's only one that's that's the one you're talking about that really is like a terrifying jump. And I want to say it's yeah. eight two. Uh, but it might be 8-3. But even 8-1, there's all these little little tiny, you know, Mario has to jump and land on one specific place, but you have to run to make the jump, and therefore you'll probably run off the side. And I clearly did over and over again. So, yeah, I, I was not uh, not really a Mario fan. I actually really liked Mario 2, the one that everyone else hates. And I wasn't really a fan of any of the Mario games uh, until I went back to play them all in the all-star format for my backlog challenge from five years ago or whatever. And then I finally was like, oh, okay, I get it now. I see why everyone likes Mario. I, and I guess in that same vein, I still don't like and still haven't finished Mario 64. Not a fan. Huh. I don't know what yeah. it is about Mario 64 because it's not like I don't like 3D platformers. I love a lot of very terrible 3D platformers. I thought Blasto wasn't awful, and that means I don't know what I'm talking about. But I never <laughs> liked Mario 64. I don't know what it is about it. It just never, never grabbed me. I think you saying you don't like Mario 64 is far more shocking than you saying you haven't ever beat Mario. Yeah. I mean, because yeah, I, I mean, it's one of those games that, that you know anyone that's like, oh yeah, I used to play all these games. You know, Mario was a game, especially when I first got my Nintendo, it was one of the only games I had. So how would I have not beaten it? But I just never did. Huh. That's that's something. I, that was like the first time I saw Mario sixty four, I nearly fell over because that his was life, one of the most life changing. Yeah, it, it was. You never saw anything like that. It, it was amazing. You know that you bought the Nintendo 64 to play Mario 64 because it was God, it was just amazing to look at and play. And I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone just kind of be like, eh, I, I don't know. You know, I'm we've the guy heard, who bought heard it. it tonight. I'm the guy who bought my, my Nintendo 64 to play pilot wing 64. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not even a joke. That's honestly why I bought it. You think, you know, somebody, I, I know. Okay, well, fine. You guys, what? What is your guys? Or was that? It? That's the end of the show. See you guys next week. <laughs> I don't know if we can go on, but, but actually, uh, when I, I grew up, we grew up with uh, an Atari and a Coleco, uh, and you know, then then an NES came around, not too long after that. And I played around on the Atari a lot growing up. But I have to say, and and I, I brought this up just a couple times, and it's always met with a very volatile response. I really just have. 
what is bordering on just a dislike, or at most a grand disinterest for Atari games, Coleco, pretty much anything before the NES. Uh, save just a, a couple of games here and there. I just don't care for it. I don't care for the Atari. I don't care for a lot of those supposed classic arcade games. And I, I just never have. Uh, the Atari for me was, it was like, you know, it's like my He-Man figures. I picked it up, I played with it for five, ten minutes, and then I went on to the next thing. It wasn't until the NES that I really sat down and, and appreciated what I was playing and sat down at length and pretty much got hooked. I mean, that I can kind of see. I know when we brought up originally, I, I considered never speaking to you again and dropping off this podcast. But the more the more I thought about it, it the, the NES was a major game changer. I mean, the first time I played The Legend of Zelda was, was yeah. you know, it was one of those things where it was like you could feel like, oh, this changes everything that I know. Like, this is mind-blowing. I don't understand everything this game is doing. And that's, you know, when you after you've played, you know, at, at this point in time, in, in 2016... It's it seems ridiculous to say that Zelda's that involved, you know. But but compared to the other games I'd played at the time that were supposed to be adventure games, like that was that was mind blowing. So I can I can see that, especially if you you only had a few games on the Atari and and, and Atari especially was kind of the of the three uh, major uh, pre NES systems. I know there was the Odyssey and all these other things, but really it was Atari, Intellivision, ColecoVision were the the big three, and all of those had. Unless you were a big fan of arcade-style games like Pac-Man or um, Defender or any of those, th- then those games were much simpler. And the Atari especially uh, was probably like a 90% bad rate. Yeah. And, and, and as a part two for that, I don't like Pac-Man. I don't like Pac-Man. I don't like Miss Pac-Man. I don't care for Pac-Man Jr. But I sure do love Pac-Land. Okay, shut, now, hold shut on. this podcast down. This is, wor- this is worse down than me saying I don't now. care for Mario 64. How can you not like... I, I thought you just meant you know, like Pac-Man, the Atari version, because that is literally the worst oh, game. Oh, that's even worse. But no, the, the original, like the the arcade version, I just never... I don't know. I, I never I never got into it. Uh, I've, I've just never... I've gotten into that style of game before. The you know the run around the screen, avoid enemies and collect you know the, the dots or whatever you're collecting. I just never really got into it, and I could never play Pac-Man for more than just a, a few minutes at a time before my mind just wandered on. Uh, but I don't know. But Pac-Land, oh, we used to, when I was a child, we went to a grocery store, and they had Pac-Land. That's all they had. And when we got to that store, I knew I had a half hour before my mother was finished up. So I got through Pac-Land and got to where I could get through it pretty quickly. And with all that aside, you would think that maybe I would go back to the original Pac-Man games with a new appreciation, uh, but but no, uh, I still have really no desire to to play them at all. I tried the Championship Edition when it came out, and still uh, nothing's really changed. I I could play Pac-Man right now. We could stop this podcast. I could go upstairs. And I could load up Pac-Man on, on the uh, Namco collection for Xbox, and I could play it until I decide to finally go to bed tonight. I mean, I love Pac-Man. I think it's it's the kind of game those those classic arcade games are so simple, but yet so they they increase in difficulty fast enough that it, it gives you a challenge. You can play for twenty minutes and get to where it's hard. I love those games, but Pac-Land. No one has ever said anything positive about Pac-Land ever. Well, this is a night of first, then, isn't it? You know, I you've, heard, you've heard it from me. This is terrible. <laughs> Jeremy's going to be like, I killed a guy once, and that's the end of the podcast. That's yeah, it. No, I, <laughs> I mean, I can, get, I can get behind you with the Atari stuff because I was much the same way. Because, you know, I was, I, I was born in 79, so up until the NES, I really just kind of thought like of Atari games as toys. You know, they were just little things you could sit down and play with for a few minutes, and, and that was it. But like the Nintendo was the first time I ever thought of video games as like an actual experience that you could have. Uh, you know, with with a story and a, a game that was longer than five minutes and and had more to it. And that was when I really, really started liking video games. So so yeah, I can totally understand, but understand that stuff. But Pac Man, you you just you, you just went over over the edge on that one. I I cannot cannot get behind that one. I'm sorry, you have to take me for what I am. Uh, I guess so. So we are now trying uh, new tryouts for the podcast starting uh, <laughs> next next podcast. Must like Pac-Man. <laughs> must like Pac-Man. Must like Mario 64. Jeremy so Gregory guys, and two other you dudes. Gonna, you guys are going to be dreading that. You're going to regret <laughs> that when you want to do that Pac-Land episode. 
I like Pac-Land. I think Pac-Land's all right. Pac-Land is terrible. The 2D action side-scroller? Is yeah. that the Pac-Land we're I mean, talking about? It's not Pac-Man, but it's all right. I wouldn't put action in there with it. It's a, it's a side-scroller, <laughs> though, all right. Okay, fine. fine. But Jeremy Gregory. Yeah, you can't what, just what, you can't just let what, us laugh at us and then end the show. What you got? Well, I, I think I've already mentioned a couple of things in previous podcasts that would probably um, qualify for this. My my suggestion that the original Gex was arguably a good game uh, brought me much ire from from people I know. And uh, also, I think I've mentioned before that uh, my favorite Mega Man is Mega Man Eight, and that every other Mega Man except Mega Man Two was kind of awful, and I don't like any of them. That one usually makes people kind of want to die when they're talking to me or instantly just leave or stop talking to me. Like, one thing if you said you hated all Mega Man, but to then say, yeah, two and eight, those are the good ones. Two and eight were the good (laughs) Mega Man games. Everything else. What about three? No, I don't like three. I mean, again, eight was was fine, but it was definitely, like, it, it wasn't a good one by any means. And two is always regarded as very. It was the the first big Mega Man. The first Mega Man kind of came out. No one knew what it was, and and it's fine on its own. But two really was like you know it got the full treatment by Nintendo Power. Everybody loved Mega Man two. I, I can't say you're wrong there, but eight. I think I liked Mega Man two because I hated Mega Man one so much. And I first played Mega Man one at my cousin's house in Kentucky or wherever I was, and everyone was going crazy about this Mega Man craze. And I played it, and this is like, this is, oh, my God, this is not good. I mean, I, I was a kid, you know. that That's my excuse, I guess. I could probably go back to him now and enjoy him. But back then, I thought Mega Man 1 was terrible. But then I rented Meg- Mega Man 2, and it was much, much better. I loved Mega Man 2. And everything after that was just kind of the same thing over and over and over and over again. And I don't think I ever got any interest in a Mega Man until Mega Man 8, where it was... I mean, it looked significantly better. That was one thing that actually held my attention. Uh, just the art style and everything about it um, and those awful cutscenes. I remember far <laughs> more about Mega Man 8 than I remember anything about all the other Mega Mans combined, including the Mega Man X games. Ooh. But that's not even the one that I was going to say for this one, even though I know you guys are ready to just end it now. Mega Man 8! <laughs> How could you do it? How could you do it? Okay, well, what, what is worse than that? Dr. Wowie. Um, it was, uh, I have never beat a Zelda game in my entire life. Hey, now. I've never beat one, none of them. I've played, I think, every single Zelda game ever, but I've never, ever beat a Zelda game. What happens to you? I, every single time, I get really excited to play it. I start playing it. I'm just like, this is amazing. I love Zelda. This is great. And then I get about three or four or five dungeons into it, and I completely lose interest. And I mean to go back and play them, but I just always forget about it. And I did, I, I promised myself with this last uh, Wii U Zelda, uh, the remake, what was it, Skyward, no, on Skyward Sword, Wind Waker. Twilight Princess, yeah. oh, well, Twilight Princess. And uh, now. so I was like, you know, I started this on GameCube and I never finished it. I am going to sit down and I'm going to finish this because it, even, it has an item in the game that made the worst part of that game, which was going across the ocean, much oh, faster. It's so, much, it's so much better. Yeah, and I, I did, you know, I got that item and everything, and I was going forward. I, I actually got further than I did in the GameCube version. Um, got the Master Sword and all that stuff, and and I just stopped. Like I, I just, I literally just randomly stopped, and I never went back to it. It's the same exact thing that I do with every single Zelda game ever. The only one I ever came close to beating was the original Zelda. I was on the last dungeon. And uh, was fully ready to beat it. And I swear to God, this is like a curse in my life that will keep me from ever beating any Zelda game. My, I think he was like four or five years old. My cousin came in and he decided one, one day when I was still at school, he came in and he wanted to play Zelda. He had never played it before. And so he plays, he, he starts a new game and erased my entire save. Everything I'd done. So... So this is like some psychological issue. That's blocking, <laughs> it must that's, be. I just it's blocking just, you. From, from I literally itself. just get to to a certain point, and I'm I completely lose interest. It's not just like a sudden, you know, a slow drop off or something. You know, I'm just like, yeah, 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 Zelda. Yeah, I'm gonna keep doing this, and I'm just like, eh, whatever. What's what, what else? What else is out right now? I don't know. Is there any chance you're trying to prevent yourself from being hurt again? It's possible. <laughs> you know, I never have to say that I uh, 
felt the uh, the post game depression of of stopping uh, to play a, a game that I loved uh, that I've had with other things. So I don't know. Okay. I've just had you, one long continuous Zelda timeline that has never ended. Do you, do you go? Do you look up like the ending? Do you see what you're missing? No, out I don't think I, just... I know. I don't think I know the ending to any of them. That much a lack of interest. Just just it's gone. I mean, the story of Zelda has never caught my attention other than like the timeline because it's that's always kind of interested me but as far as like the story and and what's going on you know it's it's kind of the same thing to me so link's going around getting getting the triforce and zelda's involved somehow and at the end they they get the triforce and beat ganon and that's zelda so did i just not describe every single zelda in the ending for all of them that's Zelda. That's yeah, Zelda. Start maybe, finish. Maybe except, All right, maybe I didn't miss anything second. then. Maybe that second one's a little bit different. Well, I, I can understand if you said you never beat the second one because that, that one's pure garbage. But I did finish it to prove that I could do so. Do, I do have a question, though. Does that mean when we played Golden Axe Warrior, that's the farthest you've gotten into a Zelda before? <laughs> no, that one actually I, uh, I lost interest in uh, far faster than the other ones because <laughs> that one... Was the same fucking thing over and over again, and it was literally just playing Zelda for NES. And at some point, I was like, I I could just be playing Zelda for NES and play the better game than than this one. But no, I I did not. I, I've made it further. Um, I think Zelda sixty four. I made it fairly far in into, and uh, the original Zelda. And those are the two that I have made went furthest in. I couldn't even get past the first dungeon in Skyward Sword because I hate motion controls. I'd say a modern Zelda, you can, I mean, I enjoy them, but I could see not, maybe not being into them as much. Everything after, even starting with, with Ocarina of Time. I mean, I love Ocarina of Time, but I can see how might, people might be like, yeah, I love Zelda 1, and uh, and I like the Super Nintendo Zelda, and then I lost interest. I could see that, but but not liking the original and the Super Nintendo version. I mean, it's not saying I, I don't like them. It's just that I, I mean, like I said, I, I love playing them when I start playing them, but it's it's such a sudden interest loss and and never really thinking I need to to continue because I I kind of feel like with just about every single Zelda at, at at to a certain point you've seen what Zelda has to offer in those games or you know you you get all the items and everything like that and and that's it you know it's after that it's just kind of combining everything and in, into a different dungeon so I I really don't feel like I'm you know getting further you know, or, or finding anything new in these things, I just feel like I keep doing the same thing over and over again. I think I think that he, Jeremy is also sharing our our thoughts on life <laughs> with this discussion. <laughs> this podcast in general, <laughs> doing the same thing over and over again. Oh, I lost interest in life years and years ago. So, <laughs> well, for the next two weeks, you should have a lot to keep yourself busy because we're going to dive into the Guardian Legend for the Nintendo. Uh, it's Kind of a, a nice mix of styles of games. There's a little bit of Zelda in there. There's a little bit of uh, Gradius-style shooter in there. There's a little bit of RPG in there. Uh, something for everybody or something for nobody. We'll find out in two weeks. Uh, but until then, please check us out on Retrovania.net. And if you have a listener question, please send it our way. We love answering listener questions. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.